Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello and welcome to New Books in Art. I am your host, Lorena Turner. I am a photographer and a lecturer in the communication department at California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California. Today, I'll be talking with John Brian King. John is a photographer and a graphic designer. We'll be talking about his book, Nude Reagan, which was released on June 1st of 2016. In 2015, John's first book of photography came out called LAX, uh, Photographs of Los Angeles from 1980 to 1984. You may have seen John's work as well if you saw the movie Punch Drunk Love or if you saw Boogie Nights. He designed the title sequences for both of those movies along with other films. So let's talk with John. I'm talking today with author John Brian King about his new photography book, Nude Reagan. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, Lorena. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. I was born in L.A., Raised in L.A. over in an area called Westchester, um, right by the airport. And um, I went to California Institute of the Arts for photography. Um, loved it there. It was when it was still like drugs and hippies and punks. I went to a lot of punk shows. And then um, I started a bookstore and mail order catalog called Amok uh, Dispatch and Amok Bookstore. And I did that for about nine years. And um, that got a lot of press. We carried, like, books that were what we called the extremes of information and print, um, extreme right-wing, extreme left-wing, surrealism, how to kill books, all sorts of things like that. And then when that went south uh, in terms of the recession and money and stuff, I uh, became a title designer for films. And I worked on films like Boogie Nights and The Ring and Punch Drunk Love. Uh, and I did that for about 10 years and I really enjoyed that. In the meantime, I, uh, did a book called Lust Mord, the writings and artifacts of murders, which is a compilation of murders, writings and, uh, photographs and artworks. And that did really well. And I had a lot of fun with that. 
And uh, at some point, I started writing. I wrote uh, screenplays, and I got hired for a horrible TV show called Cold Case. And I, during that entire time, I gave up photography. But then after uh, I was done with Cold Case, I decided to uh, make my own film called Redlands, as feature film, about a photographer and his model. And uh, that sparked an interest in me doing photography again. And that's when I went through my files and I found all my old photographs that I took when I was essentially in high school in CalArts, um, photographs I took at uh, Los Angeles Airport. And I put out a book last year uh, called LAX, Photographs of Los Angeles, 1980-1984. And um, since then, I've uh, been photographing quite a bit, and I photographed this book, New Dragon, which is coming out Wednesday. Fantastic, fantastic. So uh, is New Dragon, New Dragon, uh, the images, the photographs in New Dragon, those are contemporary photos, so not from your archives, correct? Not from my archives. I photographed 23 nude models in an empty office space in Palm Springs, where I live now, Um, and... I used this cheap Fujifilm Instax camera, uh, and I just sort of just let them go crazy, these models. Like, I photographed them, and they kind of felt kind of free with this mask. Like, they did a bunch of hilarious poses and some really crazy poses, and I, and I loved it. And did you, when you um, originally, how did you find the people that you photographed? Well, when I did research on my film Redlands, um, there's this website called Model Mayhem, which is sort of this underground alternative model uh, website where people are vetted in a pretty good way. So it isn't like Craigslist where you just get all the crazies, but where you can hook up with these models and um, set up times to photograph them and, and pay them. And I was able to get models from the Palm Springs area as far out as Riverside or Temecula, but I also got a few models from LA and I got them out here to photograph them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, and were they, um, were they comfortable with what you asked them to do? They were very comfortable. I didn't ask them to do anything that was really extreme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these models are used to, like, posing nude in an abandoned house wearing a gas mask in the desert and, you know, lots of really unpleasant stuff in terms of personal comfort and stuff. Also, you know, I'm older. I'm not some, you know, guy who does not operate a camera who's obviously trying to hook up with girls or whatever. You know, there's probably a bunch of skeeves on the model mayhem site but i you know i have a degree in photography that you know a lot of the models said they never worked with a photographer actually had a degree in photography you know wow so and i had very uh set notions in mind what i was going to do in terms of photographing them it wasn't like sit on this bed and think about you know love or whatever horseshit these uh photographers usually do mm-hmm. And did they, did, did you get the sense that they felt, I think you alluded to this, but did you get the sense that there was kind of a liberation that they felt in, um, in wearing the mask? Yes, very much so. I mean, I, I guess if there was anything I was worried about is that they would be offended wearing a mask because it covers up their face. 
but uh, it was the opposite. They were kind of just freed by the mask and were able to pose anyway. I did I did this movie, this little short film called Model Test, where I posed them topless in front of the video camera with their hands above their head, like they're you know being arrested or something. But it's also like a typical show your boobs kind of shot that these tacky photographers do. And I almost, I wanted to make it almost look like a Guantanamo video or something, you know, like kind of just have nude photography as torture kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I did that first. And then after that, I loosened them up by taking these uh, Reagan photographs and they, they loved it. Oh, interesting. I'd always wondered if I had a feeling that those, the, the two events that the say model test represents and then the images from the book that they were, Obviously, they're connected, but I wasn't sure if they were done at different time periods. If like there was a you know a, a kind of a depth to the relationship you created with each one, and asked them to come back. But it sounds like this was like it was happening within one one setting or one one meeting. And- yeah, I'm not interested in like. There's a really great photographer and furniture designer named Carlo Molino, and he essentially had his Milan, Italy house set up with a little studio where he would hire prostitutes throughout, I don't know, 20 years, 10, 20 years to just come to his house late at night and he would photograph them. I didn't want that. I wanted to do kind of a blitzkrieg kind of approach of like having each model for an hour or two and photographing them and then just moving on to, you know, and I did it for about two months photographing all these models. I rented the office space for two months and I, and in that two month period, I photographed 23 models I, you know, I paid them, uh, you know, and, and then I moved on. I didn't want to have like relationships with these people necessarily. Right. How do you think the office space, how do you think that that um, kind of maybe impacted their perception of you or the perception of what you were doing or their behavior? Well, a lot of, I mean, I know that the, for just from, with talking with them, I know that they had situations where they were asked to photograph in the, photographer's bedroom or in his garage and how creepy that was. And when I auditioned for Redlands, I auditioned in a little small theater in Atwater Village. I, I, I didn't want people to feel like they needed to come to my house and audition because I thought that was just kind of like unprofessional. So I wanted to have definitely some kind of a studio for the series where they felt that they were in kind of a neutral space and I love the look of an office space because it's kind of just horrible but bland and ugly. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a perfect backdrop for the photographs that I took there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so I, I, I know I, I, I have um, when I look at the pictures, they have. I mean, it's hard to know exactly what the the, the pictures in the book. It's hard to know exactly what the location is. But, um, but, but now that, now that I know that I kind of bring that, I bring that to how I look at the pictures and it gives, you know, to me, it gives their behavior and, um, their kind of interaction with the camera. It gives them kind of, it gives it kind of a different feeling. Well, it was also kind of, unlike some other things I've done in terms of photography, it was a, it was a real collaboration in the sense that with a Polaroid camera, they, um, were able to see the photographs while I took the pictures. Mm-hmm. So they were able. I was able to say, okay, this one's really dark. This is kind of cool. Let's try to do this. And, and you know, they were they were involved and they, and they enjoyed that. Just also, 
you know, most of the models were young and they had never seen an instant camera before. So they were kind of fascinated by the technology of it. Was the, was the choice of using the instant camera, um, kind of built into your conception of the project? Or oh, definitely. definitely. Mm-hmm. Because so, especially this camera, because there's other kinds of Polaroid cameras and Fujifilm cameras out there. But I love this camera because, um, the print is the size of a business card. It's very small. And the, the wonderful thing about this camera to me in terms of the series is you can't control the exposure. Um, unless you just had all the lights off. And I photographed these ladies mostly during the day, like around noon, and I had this light coming in from the outside, and um, Palm Springs light, it's always bright. And you can't turn off the flash of this camera, so you can cover a piece of black electrical tape or whatever. But I decided to just let the craziness of the exposure kind of, like, just be random, and I kind of enjoyed that, that it just didn't really make sense sometimes what the exposure would be like, it would be perfectly beautiful, bright, bright day. And it'd be the darkest photographs in the series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of, definitely a lot of variation. I mean, there's some images where you can barely see the figure, uh, the, the person, you can just kind of make out the silhouette and um, they're kind of very much hidden in the picture. You have to really kind of search for the, the, the to find the entire edge around the person. And sometimes there's, I'm looking at one image where I I really can't see, say, the bottom right part of her body. It's just right. completely absent. And it makes it gives it kind of a ghostly quality. Even when they're overexposed and really bright, it gives it this kind of quality that I really like of them as like wraiths, like demons. Mm. And do you think, uh, did you take a, a certain number? I know in collaborations of this nature, you know, your, uh, you, you don't have a set kind of fixed number of photos that you're going to take of each person, but more or less, did you, did you kind of get what you want and say four images or five images or was it fewer or, or greater than that? I would usually, uh, you know, it comes in a box of 10, the, the film, and I would usually shoot a box for each model. So I shot 230 photographs approximately. Okay. Um, and then I got it down to 107 photos for the final. Uh, some of them were just black, like I couldn't use them. Mm-hmm. And then some of them were, they repeated a pose that I'd seen before. Uh, and I, I didn't, I really took pains not to direct them. So I wouldn't say like, you know, oh, don't do that. It's already been done. I would let them do whatever. And then I just knew I was going to edit later. Mm-hmm. The The real nightmare of this project was not the photography part. The photography part was wonderful. It was easy and, and fun. But then I had to scan them. And I had to remove all the dust and dirt and all that stuff. On the, from the surface of, of each picture? Yes. Polaroids just are just, they get so dirty so quick. Huh, and I didn't know that. Kind of a nightmare to go through each one and, and clean it up in a way. I mean, I left something obvious. Like you'll see in some of the photographs, there's scratches and, um, you know, just exposure variations obviously but uh i i didn't want it to be just one big dust fest so i got rid of the dust for each one right i'm i'm looking to see i'm I'm checking to see (laughs) if i notice any i you know and i just don't yet i think i have to spend a little bit more time i mean they're definitely kind of aberrations in the emulsion 
that are interesting where there's like, a, you know, it's not a, ref, a part of the exposure, but where there's like an area that looks a little bit lighter than the rest, you know, which, which I recognized from, from using Polaroids that there's, there's, they're, they're amazing. I'm just amazing little, um, little images that have, that really kind of take on a life of their own. You know, yeah. you're, you're completely, as you're, as you've just described, completely, um, have no control <laughs> yeah, over yeah. the way, over the way, the finished product, which is, I think what's so attractive about them. I, I left that stuff in. I love that stuff, but I just yeah. didn't want like a, like some of them were just had white dots galore, especially the worst ones to dust bust were the, the really dark images. Cause they just had white dots everywhere. Right. Right. Of course. So I just had to clean that up. And then also, you know, it was the first time I scanned Polaroids. So, there's these things called Newton rings that happen when you press it right against the glass. It causes this rainbow kind of like fingerprints all over the print. Sure. So you have to kind of raise it up above the, the glass somehow. Oh, that's how I did. I didn't know that that's how you get rid of it. Yeah. You just don't have it contacting the glass. Right. So I oh, raised so- some kind of like a frame essentially to put photographs in, in the scanner so that they wouldn't touch the glass. Is the scanner able to focus on a surface that's slightly above the glass itself? Yes. The scanner is built that way for negatives and stuff anyway, so it's not a big deal. I see. So easy, easy for that to do. So yeah. you, so you, um, so you narrow down your, the, the 230 pictures to 107. Yes. And then you had the task of the kind of incredible challenge of figuring out what image is going to be first? What's going to bring people into this? What's going to, you know, and then how are the images going to progress through the book? And then where, how are you going to end it? Yes. So how, how describe that for us a little bit. How did you choose the first image? Well, I, one of the things that was nice about this is that after I scanned them and, and, and picked all the images I wanted to have in the book, I was able to actually take the Polaroids themselves and, and, uh, lay them out and kind of figure out the order I wanted to be in. Um, usually when you do a photography book that's done digitally, you have to print out the photographs and all that stuff. Right. But mm-hmm. I actually had these little business card side, polo, you know, polo where I said I could just sort of figure out where I wanted it to be. And um, I don't know, I've been editing for a while and I've done design, uh, you know, from my film design and other design, so it was actually easy and a lot of fun where I just, I wanted it to start with the picture of the model. The model is the same model that's on the cover um, for the first image. And it kind of is an even exposure. It isn't too dark or too light. And it has that sickly green that is kind of a theme throughout the book. And she's looking like almost straight at the viewer and I, and, uh, and there isn't full nudity. It's kind of covered. And I kind of like that to, to bring the viewer in. <laughs> and then when I picked images throughout, I really, it just was by instinct. It wasn't by any kind of thing. Like the only thing I had to make sure of is the two of the same models couldn't be near each other <laughs> um, because I wanted the body types to be like different, like, you know, throughout the entire book. So, um, and then just, I tried not to have it so there'd be two images on the opposite pages that were just completely dark. Cause I thought that was, there's a couple of times I did that just cause I thought it was nice, but I tried to avoid that too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, um, and let's see what, what's, I have to turn back and see what the last image is. It's, oh, it's a, it's a very dark image. It's the darkest image. Yeah. 
it's it's an image that I wasn't even sure I could have in the book. Um, and I had to talk to my printer in Italy about making sure that he could handle it. And, um, he did. Mm, Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really nice. I mean, it's incredibly subtle. Yeah. I mean, it's literally just like a tiny bit of light coming in from the sun outside. So, so a little bit later, I'd like to, um, to talk a little about your experience printing the book because that, because you do have these kind of various tones and you're, and you're not, you weren't in Italy kind of monitoring the press. So, um, so I want to talk a little bit about your experience with that, but I want to talk, uh, right now about the choice of using the Reagan mask. If you could, if you could tell us what the, why Reagan and why now? Well, Reagan to me represents like the downfall of America. And before that, the downfall of California, uh, when I was a kid, California governor was Ronald Reagan. And that's like I, when I did my book on Lustmord, uh, Murder's Writings, there was a point where uh, uh, Santa Cruz was the murder capital of the world. And it turned out because there were like two serial killers running rampant in Santa Cruz at the time. They were both people that should have been incarcerated or been in mental facilities but Ronald Reagan cut all this funding in the late sixties and to for mental mentally ill people. And Ronald Reagan's like when all of a sudden there were crazy homeless people on the street and uh-huh. the serial killings that I just discussed. And he, to my mind, is possibly the evilest person in in, in my lifetime. And so he's always been this kind of demon. And I don't know if you've seen the film The Killers. It's a film by Don Siegel. It's based on a Hemingway story with uh, Lee Marvin and Clue Gluger play these hitmen. And Ronald Reagan, it's his last film, and he plays a bad guy, and he's he's great in it because he's just so evil in it, <laughs> the way he looks. And he's sort of like the last gasp of all these old farts who are racist and homophobic and just horrible people. And, you know, I lived in Silver Lake during the AIDS uh, crisis, and he did Jack for that. And it's interesting that Hillary Clinton recently defended Nancy Reagan. Cause you know, Ronald Reagan essentially killed like thousands of people with AIDS crisis in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I was in Cal arts when Reagan got elected and everyone just knew that the arts were going to be dead. The NEA was going to get like defanged and sure enough. And then there was the Mies commission report that talked about pornography and how evil everything was. And I just realized that he was a good guy to bring up again because now you got people like Obama who are saying, oh, Ronald Reagan was actually pretty good. He, you know, stopped the Cold War and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, come on. He's really just the worst. So um, then there's also representations of Ronald Reagan in films and TV and like where people use the masks, like in Point Break that, uh, right. you know, they use Ronald Reagan. They, I think they use president's masks, but Ronald Reagan's definitely one of the masks. And in 30 Rock, the sitcom, uh, the Alec Baldwin character is having, like, Skype sex with his wife where she puts on a Ronald Reagan mask and um, making fun of the whole Ronald Reagan fetish. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the greatest stories I read uh, a while ago is by J.G. Ballard in a book called The Atrocity Exhibition. Uh-huh. He wrote a, a short story called Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan. Uh-huh. And it's like this kind of, like, cut up, forensic 
psychiatric report on like the sexuality of Ronald Reagan and, you know, where they put like Ronald Reagan's head on women and have sex with the women and the orgasm rates like 3% and stuff. It's just like hilarious. Wow. And at the time that when that story came out in 1970, it was ruled obscene. Um, the American edition was destroyed because of that one story. And Ronald Reagan wasn't even president then he was governor, but he wasn't president. So when the story came out, so um, that was a big influence too. that story. I love that story. Wow. Wow. I, I didn't know about that story. It's like only three pages long, but it's just like really disturbing. Huh? That's I'll we'll have to have to find that and read that. Yeah. It's when it, it's at a time when uh, J.G. Ballard was writing about like, uh, you know, fantasizing about, crashing a car into Elizabeth Taylor. He was fascinated with the idea of celebrity mm-hmm. and uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy as a downhill race and, and some crazy stuff like that. So, Wow. Did, did the models, uh, did, I, I'm assuming they knew who Reagan was. Um, no, they most didn't. of them not. And then the ones who, I, I, that's one of the things I did do is I asked each one of them what they thought the mask was and they all, the ones who thought they knew, they all said Nixon. Really? Yeah. Really? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, they said Nixon. Uh, they didn't say Reagan at all. I mean, did they, did they, they say Nixon? They were all born after, I mean, it's, uh, maybe for a couple. They, they were mostly born after Ronald Reagan was maybe even dead, but at least uh, no longer president. Right. When Reagan died in the early 2000s? I think so, yeah. Right. Um, that's so interesting. And then, and then it makes me wonder why, I mean, for people kind of my generation, your generation, like the Nixon mask was a kind of a cultural touchstone for, but, but I wouldn't think that, that they would know about the Nixon mask. Yeah. I think in elementary school, they're not really taught much about Reagan because there's no, except for, you know, Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. There's no, elementary school moment to be taught in history compared to Nixon, which is like China and um, Watergate and resignation and all that stuff. Um, Reagan isn't really, you know, I mean, not that these girls are road scholars, but you know, they they mostly just assumed it was Nixon. Right. Oh, interesting. That's, that's be very surprising to, to hear that. Well, I'm I'm sure it was surprising to hear that (laughs) amusing. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, I mean, Nixon. I mean, in historically, Nixon's now coming off quite reasonable compared to people like Reagan and Donald Trump and all the race, recent stuff. So, mm-hmm. so, um, so, so this, so this book. Let's talk about the uh, the printing part of it. So, the book you you you're um, it's published by Spurl Editions. Yes. And it was printed in Italy. Yes, as was my LAX book. And so my LAX book was a black and white book. And um, we looked for a lot of printers, and a lot of them were super expensive. And for ideological reasons, I didn't want to print it in Turkey or China um, because of repression and also censorship issues. I knew that it would be a problem with this book. So I uh, I finally found this place through a really nice photography magazine in Italy 
they recommended uh, this printer, uh, Grafish Morandi, who uh, did a wonderful job with LAX and were very communicative. I mean, their English isn't 100%, but what they don't know in English, they make up for with, you know, enthusiasm and the interest to be really good at getting this job done. So uh, I worked really well with them in LAX, and I knew I was going to work with them on Nude Reagan because this was definitely a challenge in terms of the exposure mostly, not the color. The color I, I left alone. I didn't change the color one bit. Mm-hmm. From the scans, I didn't lighten them or uh, bring any different kinds of color in. So the color is what you see is what you get. But the exposure was definitely going to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And how? What describe for us a little bit of the process of working with them when you're when you're far away and you and you want to make sure that um, you know the the prints reflect the qualities that you want each image to have. Yes, well, they uh, I scanned the Polaroids, mm-hmm. so I was able to use, like, Dropbox to get them the images. And then they uh, send me, essentially, a blue line, like the entire book, printed out and bound, um, so I can see the order of it is correct and, and nothing's screwed up in terms of that. And then they also sent me proofs, color proofs of a huge sheets of the photographs, um, you know, ganged up in a galley kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they sent me variations of the darker ones, like where they lighten it a tiny bit using uh, their, their judgment to make sure the inks didn't clot up and stuff. And um, I was able to pick through the proofs and say, Oh, I like this, you know, option B better than option A or or whatever. And, And they did a really good job. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so that, so that was all you're, you're, you were making judgments and decisions based on the, you're seeing the physical print. Yes. Right. Not yes. obviously what, not. what will eventually be printed in the book. Right. And, uh, there was a little bit of a hiccup. I used the typeface called blue highway for the cover. The actual words, nude Reagan mm-hmm. is in a typeface called blue highway. And there's another blue highway that they had in their computer that made it look like crap. So I had to make sure that they had my copy of blue highway. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> Cause it's not all condensed and weird. And, uh, that's why you do the proofing. You want to make sure you do all the proofs before you, you get the thing done. Right. Right. Well, well, that, it looks great. And then, um, and then after that, and I'm, I'm only mentioning this because I follow you on Facebook and on Instagram. And so I saw, um, for, for like maybe the last month or so, maybe slightly longer than that, um, you were posting pictures of the process that they were going through of, um, printing the book in Italy. Yes. Sharing that with the people who follow you. I thought that would be nice for people to see, like, you know, how the process works and, Massimo, um, who's the printer, Massimo Morandi, the owner of the company, he um, agreed. I asked him if he could take, like, just iPhone photographs of the process. And I did that originally for LAX, and he was enthusiastic about it. And he did the same for Nude Reagan. And it's nice to see, since I can't be there, um, it was nice to see these guys working on it and their process and, uh, in the end, I complimented the crew, and they sent me a nice little photograph of them, like with a thank you sign. It was really cute. 
<laughs> that's that's wonderful. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's it's very exciting to watch people on the other side of the planet work on this thing that you're kind of so engaged with and connected to, and um and you know have it just it just must be that must have been exciting to see these images kind of come to you from Massimo. And I you know I've worked with printers in the past when I did my Lustmore book, um, like Lustmore. I couldn't print it anywhere in America because everyone thought it was disgusting. These murderers writings. Um, it was, I couldn't get it printed in America. So there's also censorship issues, uh, that wasn't present for LAX, but it was definitely present for this. Uh, there are not many printers, especially in America, that are willing to do these kind of books. Hmm. And I know it seems weird now in the age of Tumblr and stuff, but it's, it's a real concern. And, I had definitely had that in mind that I didn't want some guy who's just like, Oh, this is perverted stuff. I can't print it. Uh, Cause printers are weird that way. They really do like kind of stomp on you when they think something's wrong. So kind of, you mean they, when something, when they feel like there's an inappropriateness? Yes. Yes. When I did the, uh, Amok dispatch, you know, we had some pretty crazy stuff in the Amok dispatch and uh, we had we sold in the dispatch uh, Tom of Finland uh, artwork, uh, his books. And we had a Tom of Finland picture of a man having sex with another man. And uh, we tried to get it printed in San Bernardino. And this guy was like, I can't have that kind of picture. You know, I can't have my my workers working on this and stuff like that. So we eventually ended up using a Chinese printer in San Gabriel for the dispatch. Huh, wow. Wow, that's a surprising response. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just the, the the Chinese, they just needed the cash up front and a pack of cigarettes, and they were ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> and that was before San Gabriel was this hip, cool place that it is now. It was in the throes of, like, white people upset that there was Chinese language signs and stuff, so it was a pretty interesting atmosphere. <laughs> So, uh, so what are you working on now? Well, I when I did the uh, photo sessions with these models, I had two ideas in mind in terms of photography. I did the short film model test where I videotaped them, and then I did the Polaroids of them as Newt Reagan. And then I did this project. I, I did these photographs that are eventually going to be booked next year called Still, where I photographed the models as if they were like displayed mannequins or displayed. uh, Yeah. Mannequins, I guess is the best bet where um, I have them on a platform and I photograph them almost like they're like there's, they're kind of just their eyes are open. They're not dead, but they're kind of inanimate. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in the idea that, of taking very non-sensual nude photographs where you kind of say, here's the body, here it is. And, but playing with notions of like Laura Mulvey's, the gaze and, and where the viewer can look at their bodies on display, but they don't look back. Mm -hmm. And where the positions are not sexual, but they're explicit in terms of the nudity. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I'm playing with that right now. I'm editing that book right now. Are they? Um, you may have said this, but I'm not positive. Did, are they standing on the pedestal? 
they I made this creepy like serial killerish kind of board with a um, lip on it so they could stand on the lip and then I had the the board positioned at a 45 degree angle on a, on a, a workhorse a you know like a stand yep so that they are just like on this board and then I had two of the uh, stands and then I had them as a table on the board mm-hmm. so it's essentially three positions and it's like painted this uh, it's stained the board is stained this like dysentery green mm-hmm. and um it's sort of it's based on a screenplay that I wrote called Still, um, where I just kind of was interested in this idea. Of this guy who like sort of like the collector, like this guy collected women, and I thought it was kind of an interesting idea of like a photographer just taking this board and photographing new models on it. I thought it would be creepy and kind of interesting. And how uh, th- th- this is probably for the discussion for that book, but I'm going to ask you now since you're since you're talking about it and engaged with it. So, how did the models respond to that? Uh, they responded well. I mean, the only problem is that you 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 stand on a board for a long period of time. Um, some things happened that I w- really wasn't ready for, like all the blood kind of settles in your ankles and your feet. Mm-hmm. And they would get lightheaded sometimes from just being still, just being, you know, uh, staining somewhere for a while. Mm-hmm. So after the first model, I made sure that, I mean, I had refreshments and stuff, but I made sure that after the first model that I had water and carbs and, you know, just made sure that they were, and we took many breaks because mm-hmm. it was strangely tiring. You know, even though they were just standing still, it was kind of tiring for the models. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the model in the model mayhem page where I advertised for these models, I made sure that they knew um, that it was explicit nudity, that there was no implied nudity, that you know all that stuff. Just so I was upfront with them about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's so that book's name is is going to be still or is yes. still right? Yes. Um, and and I and on your Instagram and on Facebook. Book, I think on Facebook too. You're also posting these really incredible pictures that you took um, when you were going to CalArts of um, different kind of people in different settings and different maybe occupational settings. Or um, are you going to do anything with those? Um, no plans for those. Like the, uh, the one series I think you're talking about, Hospital. Mm-hmm. I went to my mother's hospital. She's the nurse in one of the photographs, and I. Um, just took a six by seven Pentax and photographed all these people that I knew through my mom, uh, at the hospital. And I, it was just something I enjoyed doing. I, I, I didn't even do it for a class assignment or anything. I just did it, but it, it's only like uh, 24 photographs or something. It's not enough for a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may put it out later on the website or something else, but, uh, it's not for any publication. I think those are, I've told you this, before, but I think those are fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see them. And, you know, I have ephemera through my ph- photographs from earlier. Like, I photographed a uh, public image, uh, you know, John Lyons Band, an American bandstand, and that got reprinted a couple places and, and websites that I was happy about. Mm-hmm. But uh, no plans for hospital yet, but uh, I'd like to, well, I could be somewhere. 
I just, and I love that, I love that the names that you, that, well, I love the name of hospital that you're, that you would call it just hospital or you're calling <laughs> it hospital. It's so, it's so nondescriptive and yeah. it's, and it's kind of perfect for like the, the view of being in the year 2016 and looking back at, you know, at, um, 1980 something. Yeah, 1983. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's weird for me too because you know my mother's dead and most of her friends are dead, so it's kind of like this morbid thing for me now too to see it. Um, but uh, I worked. It was like my first job was working as a dishwasher at that hospital. So oh, really, I also worked with a lot of those people and, and had a lot of fun with them. And they were very sweet to me, so I, I felt like it would be nice to chronicle them. It, it is a weird thing about getting older. It's like you go through these photographs you took when you were a kid, and it's like. Some of them are stupid and some of them are class assignments, but then I did find that some stuff had worth, especially in the context of today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I would think, I think hospital has that <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, like for instance, I mean, the hospital, there's like African-Americans you never see African-Americans in photographs and work, you know, hardly ever. It's like just stuff like that. You just notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not, I thought there's not another, okay, maybe you wouldn't even call the series, but I thought there were some other, other images you were posting too that were from a slightly different situation. Um, I photographed like, like I have another series that this website's interested in, like called Punk Days, where it's all the photographs I took when I was like going to punk shows and had punk rock friends and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and I, I did portraits of like friends at Cal Arts and stuff. And I, oh, I did that other thing called Gray Card. You may have seen. That's what I. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. that was that was just one night at an art opening at Cal Arts where I, I, that was an assignment where I was supposed to develop my first role of or roles of color film, and I had to have somebody hold hold a gray card. And everyone else did the assignment where they got in a studio and had some guy or girl hold up a gray card in a, in a studio setting. But I thought just take the gray card to a cocktail party and have everyone f- hold the gray card. Mm-hmm. And what, and what's so wonderful about those images is you, I mean, it, it, there's, there's people's responses, like there's the way their faces look and, you know, kind of playing, serving this, this purpose or this role for you to help you out. So there's, yeah. there's kind of that. And then I think the, you and I've had a separate discussion, you know, where you said, you know, you, you know, um, the, all the stories of what happened to people and kind of who they are. And, and so, you know, as, as someone who doesn't have that contextual information, but you kind of shared some of that with me, you know, to then look at the pictures with that, as you're looking at the pictures, when you, you know, seeing the pictures through those, that kind of lens, um, that also is pretty fascinating too. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me because it, I was brand new at CalArts when I took those photographs. So I, some of these people, that I photographed became good friends. Some of them became girlfriends. And, uh, and then later, you know, some of them died of AIDS or some of them became successful artists and, you know, it's all over the map in that regard. But at the time it was just a stupid class assignment. I I do like the fashion and other things like everyone's drinking, everyone's smoking Mm -hmm. cigarettes and, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's a different, those people are special to me because they do have that kind of like, Velvet Underground, who gives a shit kind of attitude that I love. Mm-hmm. And I also I feel I don't see as much anymore, you know. Yeah, that's that's true. And I do feel like the way I'm thinking of one woman in particular as I say this, but I know that it applies to more people than this. But um, the the idea of 
like femininity and what it meant to be, you know, a, a female in an art school context then seems extremely different than say when I went to art school in the 1990s or some of the people I know currently who are in art school, like there's just, there's a, a much different kind of orientation to it that they express themselves kind of outwardly, maybe in fashion or the way that they just, um, you know, create their appearance. It's, it's, it's a, it's a very different thing. How do you think that they change their, I mean, how do you think that they present themselves? Um, well, I think you mean currently or, or no, no, the women in the, the women in the, oh, it's, there's a subtlety to it. Um, that's not particularly, it's not like overtly sexual or, um, you know, over the top, like here I am, this is the costume that I wear that kind of tells the world that I'm an artist. Mm -hmm. It was, it, it feels a lot more kind of subtle and more, there's a more of a security, um, that, that, that I'm, that I'm sensing that they're projecting in, in kind of who they are and what they're doing, um, you know, in, in, in the context of art school. I, I could be reading a lot more into the photo than. than no, no, there, no. But. I mean, I think I love the women back then because, and, and I'm still friends with them now. Mm -hmm. They, you know, when I would meet them at a cocktail party, they'd just come up to me and go, what's your story, King? You know, like that kind of thing. Like <laughs> they, they were the brassy dame and, uh -huh. and they, they did not um, have issues with sexuality. They would have sex with whoever they wanted and, and they were very uh, open about it. And, they were not confused. They were not like messes. They, they were messes in some regard, like every art school kid. But, you know, they, they did have a bravado and an intellectualism that yeah. I think is sorely lacking for the most part now. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting, an interesting way of describing it for sure. Um, well, tell us where can people find Nude Reagan? And also, since we talked about LAX, where can people find LAX to purchase for themselves? We uh, are we are not getting in any bookstores, so uh, we sell exclusively through Amazon and SpurlEditions.com for both of those books. Okay, great. And are you? Um, I know you were looking for uh, places to exhibit your photos. Do you do you have anything upcoming for that? Nothing at all. Wow! Someone needs to <laughs> someone needs to talk to you because you know that I think they're both both groups of images are really lend themselves well to being seen in that kind of context. So thank you. I mean, the, I mean, one of the things about living in Palm Springs is that you know I live in an area where the art world is, for lack of a better word, infected by the tourism industry. So everything that is supposed to be art out here is based on mid-century modernism and swimming pools and cocktails and, you know, looking fabulous. And, and, and I am the opposite of all of that. So I am kind of an outsider in this town in terms of the art world. Um, and I did not keep any connections with, I mean, I don't know. I don't think the people in New York and LA galleries would want this sort of thing anyway, to be honest, because it isn't, uh, it's kind of strange and, and weird as opposed to, uh, Baroque and obscure. <laughs> so I think what, what I'm understanding is that if uh, any of the people who are listening to this are in Palm Springs and they see someone who doesn't look fabulous, that that possibly could be you. Oh, definitely me. Okay. Yeah, I'm the Orson Welles-looking guy with the sandals and muttering to himself as opposed to the guy in the loud print jacket um, with a poodle. <laughs> All right, so I'll look for you when next time I'm in, I'm in Palm Springs. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, for talking with us. 
Thank you. And uh, you've created two really, really beautiful books. And um, Nude Reagan will be available um, starting on June 1st. Yes. At Amazon and SpoilEditions.com. Yes. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.